If you got your Bibles, open to James chapter 5, James chapter 5, and then 1 Kings chapter 17. Uh, We'll continue in our story uh, of Elijah and Ahab. We're calling this one Showdown, all right? So uh, uh, as you go that way, some of you here with us last week, we went through the story of Ahab, kind of talking about how his story begins. And uh, I mean, it is a downer. When you think about all the sin, uh, he is, uh, again, uh, remember Ahab is kind of symbolic of each one of us because he's sinful, but so are each and every one of us. Um, But it's definitely a downer uh, when you look at the life of Ahab. I want to remind you, um, and uh, this is just kind of the way it works, you can't get to grace until you go through sin. And so uh, that's kind of the case of the two messages together. Uh, We went through the sin side that it needs to be repented for and uh, and atoned for by the shed blood of Jesus Christ. Uh, But now all of a sudden we're going to jump in and look at Elijah. Elijah also is symbolic of each and every one of us because he's just a normal guy and yet God uses him him powerfully. Um, and so if you ever, uh, if you're taking notes, our first question as we go through today uh, is, have you ever met someone who was truly larger than life? Have you ever met someone who was truly larger than life? This could be somebody who maybe was physically large or, or just their persona uh, was massive. And uh, uh, sometimes, uh, sometimes again, uh, we, uh, when we consider Elijah, that's who Elijah was. He was larger than life. He was, again, when you met him, uh, he's the great miracle worker of the Old Testament. He carried a massive persona with him. Uh, my favorite movie of all time is Tombstone. Some of y'all know that. Tombstone's my favorite movie of all time. And uh, there's a scene where uh, Wyatt Earp has just finished uh, uh, killing the leader of the Cowboys gang, and uh, uh, he's uh, walking through, but it was really just uh, kind of, again, a situation where they were pinned down, thought they were going to lose, and uh, and then all of a sudden, Wyatt Earp's team emerges, but Wyatt's the one that uh, uh, that does the that does kind of the miraculous moment, and so when they're done, he goes and is down by the creek and uh, is just kind of kneeling next to the water, and so one of the guys comes up and goes, where's Wyatt? And he says it to Doc Holliday and uh, Val Kilmer in that perfect Doc Holliday voice goes, down by the creek, walking on water. You remember that? Uh, that's a, just a great little scene. The idea was he's larger than life. This moment was so big, and, and now uh, he, carries that, uh, he carries that great persona with him. Uh, the thing to remember is that uh, when it comes to Elijah, Elijah was just a man. Uh, there was a feeling, even amongst the early church, that maybe he was a demigod, that he was somewhere between a god and a man. And in James chapter 5, we get in the New Testament a description that we need to hold on to, that Elijah was just like any one of us. He just was a man with incredible faith. Look at what happens in uh, James chapter 5, and we're going to start in verse 16. And here's what's crazy. Many of you have probably heard verse 16 by itself of James chapter 5. And then verse 17 gives us the context. The power of verse 16 is describing uh, Elijah. Look at what it says. It says, therefore, confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous man is powerful and effective. Some of you probably heard that before. Now look at verse 17. Elijah was a man just like us. Underline was a man just like us. He prayed earnestly that it would not rain, and it did not rain on the land for three and a half years. Circle, highlight, and underline, and it did not rain for three and a half years. Again, he prayed, and the heavens gave rain, and the earth
earth produced its crops. Stop there for just a minute. Right on the heels of the prayer of a righteous man is powerful and effective. Comes this verse about Elijah where it says, and Elijah, this great, big, larger-than-life miracle worker, even he was just a man. The awesomeness, the miraculous nature of Almighty God shines through us. It is not anything that we earn or create on our own. It's a powerful thing for a person to remember. Back in the day, um, I'll never forget, I got to meet probably the greatest athlete in the history of Oklahoma State Athletics, a guy named Barry Sanders. Uh, just uh, want to put dispel this real quick. There were several of you OU grads at the door who were trolling me, has walked into church today. Yes, the Cowboys played terrible yesterday, and that is all I have to say about that. And so uh, anyway, all that to say, um, I'll never forget, I get to meet Barry Sanders one time, but the way it came together was what was so interesting. Um, Barry Sanders, again, greatest, probably the greatest athlete in the history of Oklahoma State Athletics, uh, one of the five best running backs uh, in NFL history also. Um, and uh, I met him one day in a bathroom at the basketball stadium or the basketball arena uh, there, in, uh, there in Stillwater. Um, it was uh, under kind of sad circumstances, uh, not just kind of under sad circumstances. Um, back my uh, sophomore year in college, uh, something happened at OSU. Um, there was a plane crash that involved several of the uh, basketball team players and assistant coaches, uh, and, uh, and uh, they perished in the crash. It was right after they played against the uh, University of Colorado. And um, um, the uh, plane crashed, and it was extra difficult for, for me and for the group that I graduated with because uh, we went to class with those guys. Uh, the, these were our friends. And so um, it was a heavy day. And uh, of all the time that I lived in Stillwater, the toughest ticket uh, that there ever was to any sporting event uh, was to the basketball game, uh, the uh, first game after the plane crash. Ironically, against Colorado, the same team that we played in Colorado, um, we were playing Colorado in Stillwater. I was waiting tables at Red Lobster, and my boss let me off early uh, because my roommate had gotten us tickets so that we could go to the game. And so I missed the first 10 minutes of the game uh, because I was finishing up at Red Lobster and uh, trying to park and get over to the, to the uh, arena. And uh, um, I remember they used to let the students in to kind of this player's entrance area, especially if you were coming in late to the game. And uh, I mean, the whole place is packed out and uh, I needed to go to the bathroom because I'd been working the whole day up until that point. And so I run into the bathroom and then all of a sudden, this guy comes up a few stalls over and it's Barry Sanders. And it's just me and Barry Sanders standing next to each other. And my first thought was, I should shake his hand. And then I thought, no, it's not the time. You know what I mean? Because we were in the bathroom together. Okay, I was like, that's not what I need to do. But I knew I wanted to tell the story of how I met Barry Sanders later. So I was like, I got to say something, but it can't be anything weird, you know? And so I finally decided on, I just kind of leaned over and went, what's up? <laughs> And Barry looked back at me and he goes, what's up? And that was it. That was how the meeting with Barry Sanders went. Now, can I tell you what I remember thinking? He was five foot six inches tall. That's what he was listed at in the program. He looked way shorter than that in, in person. I mean, just again, he was a small guy, just a short guy. And I remember again in that moment just going, whoa, this larger than life athletic hero doing a normal human being thing right there. That's what James is trying to tell us. James is trying to tell us 
with Elijah, we're about to read the stories of the man who was the great miracle worker of the Old Testament. But he wasn't great because of anything he did. He was great because the power of God shone and shined through him. If you're taking notes, write this down. Are you ready? Ordinary people are capable of developing extraordinary faith. Write that down. Ordinary people are capable of developing extraordinary faith. It's the idea uh, that when we read a passage like the ones that we're going to read, you should read through it and not go, wow, Elijah was awesome. We should read through the passage and go, whoa, God can use me too. God can use me in the middle of my circumstances, in the middle of my limitations. He can use me the same way. Do you remember when we read about Peter and John? in our study in the book of Acts. And remember, it says that the Sanhedrin look at them and they saw the courage of Peter and John, that they were unschooled, ordinary men, and then they took note that the men had been with Jesus. The power of this is remembering in the same way with Elijah, when the outside world sees see the courage that we have when it comes to the gospel message, but that we just are normal people. You're not an angel sent from heaven to earth. You're just you, sinful and yet striving to cling to Christ in all things and having faith that God is who he claimed to be and that he will lift us up with his righteous right hand to fulfill what he's called us to do in the kingdom. It begs the big million-dollar question today. How does someone, quote, like us, experience the greatness of God? How does someone like us experience the greatness of God. I want to encourage you today, take notes or even just take stock in your spirit specifically of what the Lord might be saying to you today. Is there something uh, that God is calling you uh, to let go of or calling you uh, to uh, to, uh, step forward in faith, to trust him, believing without seeing so that you might experience the greatness of God? Now flip over to 1 Kings chapter 17 and we're going to start in verse 1. We talked about the sin of Ahab and now we get the faith of Elijah. Look at the uh, 1 Kings chapter 17, starting in verse 1. It says, Now Elijah, the Tishbite from Tishbe in Gilead. Now stop right there for just a minute, because here's what's interesting. Elijah, where we have kind of the family history of Ahab in the sermon that we did last week, in the study we did last week, Elijah just like appears out of nowhere. It's one of the reasons why James says, hey, look, he wasn't like an angel that fell from heaven. He didn't just show up. And it says that Elijah is the Tishbite from Tishbe. Can I tell you why that's important? Scholars are even in debate on where Tishbe is located. The idea is he was anybody from anywhere. I mean, that's really what happens. One scholar likened it this way, where they say of Jesus from Nazareth, can anything good come from there? The idea here is the great miracle work of the Old Testament was a nobody from nowhere. He was an anybody from anywhere, right? He's Elijah, the Tishbite from Tishbe and Gilead. No massive family lineage is given. No massive family history is given. He just springs up and God uses him. No matter what your past is, no matter where you've come from, no matter what it is that you've endured uh, in your upbringing, God can use you and you can have great faith just like Elijah. Look at what happens again in verse 1. Now Elijah the Tishbite from Tishbe, the anybody from anywhere, in Gilead said to Ahab, the king in Israel, as the Lord God of Israel lives, look at this, 
whom I serve, underline and highlight whom I serve, there will be neither dew nor rain in the next few years, look at this, except at my word. Underline, except at my word. You have a dichotomy that's taking place here that is very powerful for us to understand if you want to experience the greatness of God. He starts off and says that he is a servant of Almighty God, and yet it will not rain until he speaks. It will not rain until it's at his word uh, in the country. Notice that you have complete submission to the authority of God, but he speaks with power and authority as if he's speaking for Almighty God. If you're taking notes, write this down. How does someone like us experience the greatness of God? Number one, have full confidence in your master's authority. Have full confidence in your master's authority. I don't know that there could be a more DC principle than this one for the message today. You've got to walk this line of incredible humility, knowing who you serve, and yet at the same time speaking with authority and boldness because you know that God is who he claimed to be and he will do what he has claimed to do. If you're taking notes, write this down. A disciple must learn how to speak with authority, under authority. One more time. A disciple must learn to speak with authority and under authority in the same time. We would call this bold humility, understanding who you are, your personal limitations that you are one under authority and yet at the same time you cry out with authority because you are the uh, you are the representative for from almighty god to the situation i feel like we understood this when you watch little kid athletics you ever watch little kid athletics before I mean, it is rough sometimes. I'm just going to be honest with you. I got four kids. It can be rough sometimes. You ever watched a little kid soccer game? I mean, like like four or five year old soccer game. It looks a lot like. Do you remember um, on uh, Charlie Brown when Pigpen would walk around and there's that cloud that follows him around? That's like little kids soccer. The ball goes around and I mean, there's this cloud of kids where they all just run around together. There's not really any game plan. It's just try to be the one who kicks the ball. You know what I mean? Uh, there's not a whole lot of game plan. There's not a lot of trust in the coach because there's not a lot of trust in their athletic ability, right? When you move up, I'll never forget playing junior high football for the first time. And I'm playing weak side linebacker, and then at one point I played a little bit of, uh, played a little bit of, uh, of nose tackle. But the linebacker position was the one where I would finally set in. The coach used to tell us, one guy cannot win the game in football. In tennis, one player can win. In golf, the caddy helps you a little bit, but it's one person who's taking the shots. One person can win and lose the match. Even in baseball, a good enough pitcher can control no hits on the other side of the ball, and they could technically win the game all by themselves, or at least not lose the game all by themselves. In basketball, man, you ever watched a truly great player play against a bunch of average players? They can take over the game almost all by themselves. But football, the field's too big, and you're not playing like soccer across the whole field. You're trying to play a game of inches and yards that are right in front of you. So I'll never forget our coach coming up to us, and he said, listen, if each of you will know your role and you'll trust the game plan, if you'll trust us, have confidence in us and your coaches, as your coaches, they said, then we'll get, to see our, we'll get to see our team win some games and we'll have some success. So as a linebacker, there are three things that you watch for. 
playing weak side linebacker, we watched the tackle, and the tackle would respond in one of three different ways, and that lets you know what you were supposed to do. I couldn't take care of the whole field, but I was supposed to take care of my lane and my responsibility. If the tackle popped up like this and ran at me, that meant that the ball was coming this way, and I needed to run at the tackle, pop them, and then watch for the ball and go find the ball. The other thing was, if the tackle turned and blocked down like this, that meant that the running back was going to run right off the edge of his rear end, and that meant I was supposed to run as fast as I could and try to plug the hole so that we could tackle the running back behind the line of scrimmage. But if the tackle pops up like this, that meant that I was supposed to cover the flat just in case the tight end was coming across or just in case a receiver was on a slant. So you'd turn and you'd run like this. Well, I remember talking to the coach and the coach said, you got to stop playing junior high soccer and running around, stop playing little kid soccer and running around wherever the ball is, but take care of your responsibility, trust your teammates and trust the game plan, and then we can win moving forward. Some of you are like, that's a whole lot of football teaching today. Stick with me. One day, it finally clicked. We were playing Odessa Permian High School. If you've ever seen the TV show Friday Night Lights, Friday Night Lights is based after Odessa Permian High School. It was the first time I'd ever played on AstroTurf before when we went to play against them. And they had a wide receiver named Roy Williams who played for them. Some of you Detroit Lions fans and University of Texas fans remember him. He was huge. Even back in high school, he was 225 pounds and six foot four. He's a big dude, even in high school. And back then, I was 165 pounds soaking wet and then five feet eight inches tall, the same height that I am now. I'll never forget, we get in, we're nervous about the game, and the coach kept telling us, just trust me and stick to the game plan. Trust me and stick to the game plan. And I'm scared to death that I'm going to get run over by Roy Williams, just like about everybody else on our team, on our defense. So first play, quarterback calls, and I remember the tackle in front of me pops up so I can see it's a pass. So my muscle memory takes over. I remember what I've been trained to do in that moment, and I turn, and I roll out into the flat. Well, sure enough, the quarterback's eyes face this way, and he throws the ball, and I remember I'm like, oh, I'm in position. I'm about to get an interception. Like, I can feel, I'm so excited, and I'm seeing the ball come in, and all of a sudden I turn, and there's a man right there in front of me. It's Roy Williams. He's coming across on a slant. And I'm telling you, I reach up to grab the ball. Roy Williams comes at me, catches the ball, trips over me, and falls on the ground. And all of a sudden, they make an announcement for the whole stadium. Zach Randall's on the tackle. And I'm like, I tackled Roy Williams. Oh, my gosh. I tackled Roy Williams. He would end up being number three in the Heisman voting a few years later. I mean, it was crazy. That was, that was my crowning athletic moment, right? Guess what I hear from the sidelines? Good work, Zach. That's what we want. That's what I heard. Good luck. Or good work, Zach. That's what we want. Was he saying that he wanted Roy Williams to plow me over every time? No. He was saying, your job is to be the speed bump when he's running across on that slant. Now listen, I tell you that to say this. We got to trust our master's authority. There are going to be so many times in your life where you go, Lord, Rolling out in the flats is what you want me to do? How is that going to win the game? Down, running in and plugging the hole, how is that going to win the game? And the Lord goes, you have no clue all the different facets that are at my disposal. You have no clue in my sovereignty what I have planned for you, for your teammates, for your city, for the world, for eternity. You've got to have full confidence in your head coach. You've got to have full confidence in your master. 
The disciples got to learn to speak with authority, but then also walk in humility under authority. It's one thing when it's football. It's one thing when it's your career. It's another thing when it's your faith. I can tell you for me personally, a lot of the stories that you're going to hear today have to do from when I was younger. It's not because that was the last time I exhibited great faith, but listen to me. It was the first time that I tried to exhibit great, great faith, and the first time is absolutely the hardest, in my opinion. I started sharing my faith with people at school, and uh, I'll never forget, I was sitting at the lunch table one day, and I'm speaking with authority, under authority, but I was shaken by something. Someone asked a very simple question, and I was unable to provide a simple answer for them. And it was such a simple question. A kid at the lunch table, I'm rolling, talking about what God has done in my life, sharing my testimony, and then all of a sudden, one of the kids goes, do you really believe there's a God? And it's interesting. I lived my life in such a way where I believe that there's a God, but I didn't have a succinct, prepackaged answer to that question, my young man. I remember I got caught off guard and I went, uh, well, to understand that, you got to understand my upbringing. I was raised in a Christian home and I start sharing a bit of that story, kind of like I do with you guys here. I start telling this really long story. At that point, they're looking at me funny. You hadn't answered the question. So then I go, well, well let me take it back a little bit. You got to understand my parents' upbringing. I was raised in a Christian home and, and because of that, uh, this is the way they grew up and about 10 minutes pass and they're crinkling their brow at me like, you're not making any sense, dude. And then I'm like, no, no, I got to start over. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth, right? And I'm walking through and finally the bell rings and they go, you don't know. Interesting. I'll see you tomorrow. I felt so low. It was a simple question. Do you really believe there's a God? And for me, the authority had been taken out of my words because I had not developed a true answer to that question in my spirit. So I walked in shame. I avoided that person like the plague. They became a monument to my failure. And I avoided that person like the plague. Praise God, there was someone in my life named Con McCorder. Con was a youth intern at our church, and Con used to pick me up, and he would take me, after church was over, he would take me home. And um, he would give me a chance to ask any spiritual question I wanted in the car on the drive home. Well, after a few weeks after that event, Con looks at me, and Con goes, hey, are you okay? He goes, you don't seem like you're sharing your faith the way that you used to. And I said, man, this kid asked me this question I said, I felt so stupid because I didn't know an answer. I said, I know I believe in God. I said, I just, I didn't know what to say when he asked me that question. He goes, well, you say what Paul said in Romans chapter one, verses 20 and 21. I said, what do you mean? He said, you'll speak with authority when you memorize scripture. You see, they asked Paul, do you really believe there's a God? And in Romans chapter one, verses 20 and 21, we get Paul's response. Paul says, for since the creation of the world, God's invisible qualities, his eternal power and divine nature have been clearly seen from what has been made so that men are without excuse. They look at the apostle Paul and Paul says, do you really believe, they say, do you really believe there's a God? Paul's response is, do you really look at the sky and the stars and the heavens? 
you really see all the things that have happened around us, the way that the photosynthesis process works for plants? Do you really see the effects of the wind where we can't see the wind, and yet we can see the effects of it all around us? Do you really look at all these things and believe that it came up snake eyes a billion times in a row and that everything came together by chance? What Paul says is, do you really believe there's a God? Paul says back, do you really believe there's not? It takes a whole lot more faith to believe it came up snake eyes a billion times in a world, or a billion times in a row, and that's the way the laws of physics were written than it does to believe that there was some divine power that crafted it. You see how there's a difference between let me tell you a long, drawn-out story about my life and let me tell you what the Lord gives us with authority in the power of his word? How does someone like us experience the greatness of God? We have to have full confidence in our master's authority, realizing that we are but vessels of God's greatness and that he is the one in his perfection that pours out into us that we might be his hands and feet to the world. A disciple must learn to speak with authority and under authority. Head full confidence in the head coach. It begs the question, are you walking the line of bold humility? Are you walking the line of bold humility? Or are you one who's gotten your toes stepped on and it really is time you start studying some more scripture? The more Bible that you imprint on your mind, that you tattoo and chisel into your heart and into your spirit, the more you're going to be able to address those questions that come at you. Have you noticed this? The questions are the same. I've walked with God now for almost 30 years. And can I tell you, the questions are the same. They're difficult at first, but once you figure out the answer, it's the same answer not just for now, but for eternity as well. Let's keep moving. Now look at what happens in 1 Kings chapter 17, verses 2 and 3. Here's what it says next. It says, Then the word of the Lord came to Elijah. Leave here and turn eastward and hide in the Kirith Ravine east of the Jordan. Underline, turn eastward and hide in the Kirith Ravine east of the Jordan. Here's what's interesting. He has just left being in the presence of the king, and now the Lord tells him, after speaking before the king, after saying this powerful word on my behalf, now I want you to go hide in a cave. It's a perfect picture of the way the Lord works. Sometimes he calls you to follow him step by step in faith, and other times he calls you to hide in the cave and to wait patiently for the moment when he'll show up. If you're taking notes, how does someone like us experience the greatness of God? Number one, have full confidence in your master's authority. And number two, let God direct your steps and your stops. Let God direct your steps and your stops. Uh, For some of you, you're going to say this is really obvious. I didn't catch this until this week when I was writing the sermon. There is only one letter difference between step and stop. Isn't that interesting? One letter difference, and yet one symbolizes great movement, and the other means to completely and totally stand still. In this city, it's really easy to follow God when it seems like we're on the up and up all the time, when we're gaining and when we're growing. But there are going to be times when the Lord calls you to move sideways or to stay in place because it is the safest and most beneficial thing that you could do. Do y'all remember the video game Frogger? You ever seen Frogger before? Remember Frogger? Great game. In fact, some of you Seinfeld fans, you remember when George plays Frogger? Okay, and he, uh, he's hopping around, and they say, the man looks like a little frog, right? Uh, again, Frogger, the whole point of the game is a frog 
trying to make it across the busy streets and then across the the, uh, alligator-infested waters to finally make it to the other side on the lily pad. There's a time when it's a good thing to hop, hop, hop forward. There's a good time to hop, hop, hop to the side. And then there's a point when you need to stay still because you're about to get run over by a truck, all right? So what do you do? There are times where, based on the situation, based on the environment, the person guiding the frog makes different decisions. That's the way it works with Almighty God. There are going to be some times in this city when you move up and up and up, but there are also going to be times where the Lord grinds you to an absolute halt because he knows a Mack truck is coming that's about to run you over. You got to trust him. You got to allow him to place you exactly where he wants you placed with the timing that only the sovereignty of God could govern. He directs our steps and he also directs our stops. I guarantee you there were some moments where Elijah was going, man, I was before a king yesterday and I'm living in a cave today. The key tie that binds through this is that God is the one guiding his steps and he has Elijah positioned for greatness. Let God direct your steps and your stops. If you're taking notes, write this down. Trust the author of the universe to be the architect of your journey. Let me say that again. Trust the author of the universe to be the architect of your journey. For me personally, I experienced this powerfully right after I graduated from Oklahoma State. I'm from Lubbock, Texas originally. Love that town, love those people. Um, But uh, after graduation, Lubbock was probably the last place I wanted to go. Uh, Some of you have had that experience before. Uh, After you graduate from somewhere, you finish work, and you feel like uh, maybe you're supposed to go back to your hometown. It's the last place you want to go because, uh, again, there's some loose ends that you have to to tie up. I had one job offer coming out of college in ministry, uh, and it was to move to Enid, Oklahoma, and to be the Fellowship of Christian Athletes Director for the Enid, Oklahoma region. And uh, it was the only ministry job that I had offered to me. And uh, I'll never forget, um, have you ever had this before? You pray about what the Lord wants you to do, but there's only one option in front of you. Um, and so I'm sitting there, and I was like, okay, I'm supposed to pray about my future. So I was like, all right, Lord, do you want me to take this one and only job that's in front of me? And then here's what's crazy. The Lord said, no. I could feel it in my spirit. I was not supposed to take the one job that was in front of me. And I'm sitting there like, Lord, I wait tables with a degree right now. Are you sure that you don't want me to take this job in the field that I want to go into? Are you sure that you don't want me to take this job? And again, as strong as anything in my life, I feel the Lord saying, no, it's not the time. It's not the time. I'll let you know. Stay put, and I'll tell you when to hop. I'm sitting there and so frustrated. And it was that week that I got a call from a guy named John Strapazon. Strap was the college minister at First Baptist Church in Lubbock. We get to talking and I can feel the spirit kick that I'm supposed to move back to Lubbock and that I'm supposed to work with Strap. So at that point in the phone conversation, I'm like, whoa, the Lord had me wait because Strap has a job for me. And so then I go, hey, Strap, this sounds great. I can't wait to come and be with you. Uh, He says, uh, uh, and then I said, Strap, what does the job pay for me to come and spend time with you? And Strap goes, pay he goes what do you mean pay he goes we don't have any money to give you he said if you'll move here he said you can attend services they had me setting up chairs before the event for free and he said i'll meet with you and i'll teach you how to disciple adults he said that's he said and don't you wait tables at red lobster he goes you can still wait tables and that can be how you pay for your living 
as strong as I felt I wasn't supposed to take the job in Oklahoma, I felt that I was supposed to move to Lubbock with a degree and wait tables and learn how to disciple people. I didn't even know what that meant at that point. I was supposed to learn how to disciple people. During that time, it was the first time in my entire life that I had truly given God charge of the direction of my steps. And so I moved to Lubbock. It was humiliating at first. Moving back to your hometown with a degree, waiting tables, and what does everybody from your hometown do when they would come up and order lobster or all-you-can-eat shrimp or whatever it was that they would come in and order? They would look at me and they'd go, man, Zach, what are you doing now? They'd go, how much more school do you have? And I'd go, I'm done, actually. And they'd go, oh. Have you ever had that before? (laughs) Oh. That's when they look at you like, I don't know what to say. Your story's tragic. Oh. (laughs) Right? It's not lost on me that some of you are walking into that Thanksgiving. Can I tell you what happened? I didn't let it get me down. I continued to serve. I waited tables. I set up chairs at the college Bible study. And during that time, we got to see people in the front and the back of the house there at Red Lobster pray to receive Christ. It was really special. I started to get bold in my faith through that stretch too. And there was one table that came in one day. Some of you have heard this story before. It just was such a crazy moment. A table comes in, older couple, and I begin to share my faith with them at the table. Older man, his name's Mickey McMeans, his wife Shirley. And the two of them look at me and they go, son, we appreciate what you said, but we're already saved. That's what they said. We're already saved. And I'll never forget, Mickey looks at me and he goes, you want to do ministry, don't you? I said, yes, sir. One day the Lord's going to provide. He and his wife look at each other and they go, "Uh, our youth minister quit a few days ago. They said, why don't you turn in your resume? They said, what's your last name? I said, Randall's. He smiles and shakes his head. He goes, we know your dad very, very well. He said, our son followed your dad as pastor in Graham, Texas, and then again at Indiana Avenue in Lubbock, Texas. It was crazy, the way that the Lord had knit it together. And if I had not stopped at Red Lobster in Lubbock, the Lord never would have taken us on that journey. I ended up meeting my wife in Lubbock. We got married in Lubbock, and the Lord used Lubbock, Texas to springboard what would become our church. I heard y'all talking about the tech house. The Lord springboard. He used Lubbock, Texas to springboard the existence of our church here in D.C. If thou God to not only have your steps, glory to God because I'm blessed, but when he gives you a stop, a time when he lets you know, I'm working on the future, but the timing is so important, you don't want to miss this. If you trust him with your stops, that's when the really cool stuff happens. It begs the question, are you missing God's greatness due to impatience? Let me ask that again. Are you missing God's greatness due to impatience? We must speak with authority under authority but we also have to allow him to have our stops and to control the timeline. Now look at what happens in 1 Kings chapter 17, verses four through six. Here's what it says next. Verse four. So again, he says, I want you to go hide in the cave there by the Kirith Ravine, east of the Jordan. Look at verse four. This is crazy. You will drink from the brook. Remember, there's a famine. There's a drought. 
You'll drink from the brook, and I have ordered the ravens to feed you there. Underline, I have ordered the ravens to feed you there. Now, notice it's lowercase r and not uppercase r. This isn't like the raven family. Bill Raven and Joe Raven will feed you there, all right? This isn't the raven like the name of some uh, subculture group of people. No, this, this is the bird, the bird. I have ordered the ravens to bring you food. Now, look at what it says next uh, in verse, uh, verse 5. It says, so he did what the Lord told him. He went to the Kirith Ravine, east of the Jordan, and he stayed there. And the ravens brought him bread and meat. Underline bread and meat in the morning and bread and meat in the evening. And he drank from the brook. Stop right there for just a minute. The faith of Elijah to go to the ravine and the word of God is revealed to him. I'm going to use these ravens, these little birds, to feed you. One commentator wrote this. The raven is an unclean bird. You know why that's important? That means that the raven didn't show up and like on that... We love the TV show Alone. Have you watched Alone? Great show. I mean, that's they're they're killing these birds that come through so that they can eat and try to survive. I mean, this is a deal with the raven being an unclean bird. The bird could bring him food, but he couldn't kill the bird and eat it. It wasn't like chicken wings that the Lord brought to him. He couldn't cook and eat the bird. He was subject to whatever it was that the raven brought to him. In this case, bread and meat twice a day. The other picture that the commentator writes on this is that the beak of the raven is intentionally very small. That the Lord brings blessing. He can't eat the bird. And the blessing is so small, piece by piece, moment by moment, that Elijah's faith is not only strong, but it is gaining strength every single day, twice a day. If you take, write this down. How does someone like us experience the greatness of God? Number one, you gotta have full confidence in your master's authority. Number two, you gotta let God direct your steps and stops. And number three, you've gotta trust God to provide beyond your reach every day. Trust God to provide beyond your reach every day. One commentator said it this way, it's tough to get a feast from the beak of a raven. I know Elijah probably hoped that it all just could have come in one fell swoop, in one big blessing. But instead, he watched the horizon twice a day for God to provide just enough for him to survive, just enough for him to get through. And it was still miraculous every time. In this time of year, with Thanksgiving, it can be so easy to focus on what you don't have or where you fall short. But during this season, this is when we stop and remember on the smallest level and the largest level, what has God given us so that we can still be here today? During a pandemic, as I look out on a congregation of masks, what has God given us? He has given us breath in our lungs that we might survive. He has given us opportunities so that we can sit here in this room and worship him. They may be closing down the city next week. That we get to sit here today and cry out and praise together is a glimpse of heaven. Of all the weird things that God had me do, waiting tables was one that prepared me for this principle. Some of you waited tables and you know. You don't get a salary. 
You have no clue. In fact, how hard you work on a table doesn't even determine whether or not you get a good tip. You all waited tables before? Work really, really hard, and sometimes people just don't have the money. And you put in the time, you refill their Dr. Pepper 47 times, right? You make sure that they have 15 baskets of biscuits because that's the only reason they really came into Red Lobster, all right? You go in and you do everything for them. You run. And then at the end of the day, there's a buck 50 on the table. Can I tell you what I figured out after four and a half years of waiting tables? At the end of the day, I had to lift it up before God, whether it was pennies, dollars, or $100 bills, and you lifted it to heaven and said, God, thank you for my daily bread. Thank you for providing this for me. You know one of the things I love about Waterfront Church? During the pandemic, um, there were several people who messaged us, hundreds even, that said that they had moved out of the city and gone somewhere else. And we were afraid. This is back before we were able to reopen and see how many of you were staying in the city. And then this is crazy too. God is so good. He's opened the floodgates and there are many of you that have started coming to Waterfront during the pandemic. I was gonna wait till the end of the service to announce this, but we had 11 families join the church in the last two weeks. I mean, that's amazing that the Lord has provided the way that he has. At the height of the pandemic when we were the most afraid, We looked and went, okay, with such and such moving, with such and such moving, are we going to be at a point where the church's budget is going to take a massive hit? I don't typically look at the individual giving. It's one of the things I try to, again, avoid favoritism and all that stuff. It was so cool. When we looked at it, it's not one person, it's not one family, it's not one entity that funds Waterfront Church. In fact, the difference between some of the highest gifts and the lowest gifts were not very far apart. It's all of us working together that the Lord is using to create this entity. It was so special to get to see that it wasn't one person, it wasn't one group. It's all of us together that God is using for this blessing. All of us as little ravens coming in together. The Lord has given us this amazing feast. You gotta understand, if you're taking notes, write this down. Daily recognizing God's provision will keep you from missing the miracles. Let me say that again. Daily recognizing God's provision will keep you from missing the miracles. When it's come to the way Waterfront Church has been in existence, every day we pray, we go to the mail, and we expect that God will provide. It's the same way for each of you. Every day you go to the mail, every day you expect that the Lord is gonna take care of you because he's promised that he will, And then whatever is there, even the days when it's empty, you thank God that you have breath in your lungs and that you get to serve him one more day. It begs the final question. Are you grateful for the ravens or are you pining for the feast? Let me say that again. Are you grateful for the ravens or are you pining for the feast? If you are pining for the feast, you ain't gonna make it through winter in D.C., especially not this year. You got to be able to celebrate the little stuff because the Lord is hard at work protecting us and taking care of us. He's hard at work providing for us and doing things that we never dreamed possible, but you got to take time to celebrate. I love you guys. Thanks for listening today. Going into Thanksgiving, it seemed like Elijah was the right story to tell. 
We're going to get to hear some cool stuff that happens with him. I want to point out one last thing before we close today. When you look at Elijah's story, Elijah is about to call down fire from heaven. And when he does, I mean, it is the miracle for the ages because it happens in front of the whole country. Look at my eyes just for a second. Three and a half years of the ravens feeding him twice a day. Faith being cultivated into him. Prepare his heart for that moment of miraculous proportions. The same, I think, is true for many of you. Some of you are in a period of drought where you feel like the Lord is just providing beak by beak what you need. If that's you, he is cultivating faith in you because you're going to need it for something bigger later, just like Elijah. I love you guys. Let's bow our heads for prayer. With every head bowed and every eye closed, nobody looking around but just me. We call this our time of reflection. Nothing mystical or magical about this time. But there is something powerful about stopping to consider the songs we've sung, the sermon we've heard, and specifically the scripture that we've read. With nobody looking around but just me, is there anyone here today that would say, Zach, would you pray for me? It's time that I started speaking with authority, under authority, that I started carrying some bold humility with nobody looking around, but just every believer has got to truly speak with power about what they claim for their eternity. With nobody looking around, but just me, if you're here and you'd say, Zach, pray for me. Pray that I would carry bold humility, that just like Elijah, I would know whom I serve and that I would speak the words of the Lord to a broken and dying world around me. If that's you, if you would just lift your hand where you are right now. It's powerful. It's powerful. Thank you. Y'all can put your hands down. The best way to speak with the authority of Almighty God is to study Scripture and to spend time memorizing it. Tattoo it on your heart. Chisel it into your spirit so that you can speak with authority. I'm going to pray for you, but if that was you, just pray this simple prayer. God, help me speak with authority, under authority, and give me a passion for your word. And give me a passion for your word. Second, maybe there are some of you here that would say, Zach, would you pray for me? I'm in a period right now of stops. I'm in a period right now where the Lord has told me to wait, and I need you to pray that I would have some patience. Just so you know, our God has unlimited patience and unlimited courage at his disposal, and he will lavish it upon you if you'll ask him. With nobody looking but just me, if you're here and you'd say, Zach, pray for me, pray that I would be patient and pray that I would be courageous during a time when the Lord has told me to stop or to slow down. If that's you, if you would just lift your hand where you are right now. So many of you. So many, y'all can put your hands down, maybe half the room. I'm so sorry. It's tough in this city because it's so expensive. It's tough in this city because you can feel alone even though a thousand people are around you. I want to encourage you. God has unlimited patience. God has unlimited courage. I'm going to pray for you, but just petition the Lord. Lord, please help me to tap into your patience. Lord, please let me tap in to your courage so that I can be ready to move when you say to move. And then last but not least, maybe there are some of you here that would say, Zach, would you pray for me? 
I need to be grateful for the ravens instead of pining for the feast, especially in a time of pandemic where it's so easy to think about the things that we don't have or the family that we're not seeing or the economic struggle that didn't have to be. If you're here today and you'd say, I'm tired of pining for the feast and I'm ready to thank God for the ravens, that the ravens would bring meat and bread to a guy for three and a half years is nothing. Twice a day is nothing but the work of Almighty God. With nobody looking around but just me, is there anyone here today that would say, Zach, pray for me. Pray that I would be grateful for those ravens that God's provided. If that's you, if you just lift your hand where you are right now, it's powerful. It's powerful. Y'all can put your hands down, so many of you. That's Thanksgiving, isn't it? Remembering the things that God has done and then one by one counting your blessings. Thank God for even the smallest things. It's why Jesus, in teaching his disciples to pray, says, give us today our daily bread. It almost harkens back to this story of Elijah in 1 Kings 17. God, we thank you for the little bit of bread you provided for us today because you didn't have to do that, but you do because you love us. If you lifted your hand, I want to encourage you. Just start telling God the little things that you're thankful for. I'm going to pray for us, and then we'll stand to our feet. Father, thank you for this day and for your blessings in it. Thank you for the chance that we've had to study your word. And Lord, we thank you for the faith of Elijah. Lord, I pray in the name of Jesus Christ that you would help us to speak with authority, but under authority in that bold humility. Lord, that we would trust you when you have us moving forward and our steps are multiplied, and that we would also trust you and have patience when you've called us to stay in one place for a time. And Lord, for those who need to be grateful for the ravens today. I pray that you would open the floodgates in their mind of all the little things that you've done. And God, that they would leave today full and grateful that you are on their side and bringing them good things. I love you, Lord. Speak in power through these final moments. It's in Jesus' holy name we pray. Amen.